Welcome to Pharma Talk Radio. I'm Valerie Bowling. I'm pleased to share a presentation from the 2019 POD, Partnership Opportunities and Drug Delivery Conference. In this presentation, Eli Lilly's Dr. Chris Kolbachek talked about utilizing digital health data to improve disease management, prevention, and overall wellness to achieve the ultimate outcome for patients. The 2020 POD event will take place October 8th and 9th in Boston. Enjoy the podcast. Everybody hear me okay? Good afternoon. Um, thank you very much for the introduction. Um, I'll address the ambitiously comment. You know, Val asked me to be provocative and interesting, neither of which can be self-declared. So when you're the last talk of the day, you have to try your best. So um, thanks again to the organizers and Val for having me. Um, this is actually the second year in a row that I drew the envious position of the last talk of the conference. So I uh, thank you all for sticking around. Uh, we're going to kind of switch it up a little bit. Um, to kind of premise what we're going to talk about today. Um, we spent a lot of time, I started at Lilly through the Cambridge Innovation Center, which was really designed as a front-end like thought process experiment. And we spent a lot of time looking at, not specifically digital health, but just different ways in which we can collect, analyze, and use data um, to improve outcomes for patients. And one of the themes you're going to hear me talk a lot about today is we, we talk a lot about the user experience, patient centricity. Um, and I'm going to propose just a different way to look at it. Um, so really when it comes in, we're going to talk about this concept of wellness. So just off the bat, just in the last talk, the word disease management comes up a lot. And this whole conference, lots of conferences, we spent a lot of time talking about the innovative and unique products that we develop to help with disease management for patients, the reality is that disease management is extremely expensive. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. Um, on the left, if you just look at the per capita spend for a variety of countries around the world, um, it's pr pretty outrageous just how much we're spending, over $5,000 on average. Just in the United States alone, it's over 10 grand per capita. It's extremely expensive. Uh, one very interesting scenario is if you look at the top seven chronic conditions which we manage, all of which are up there, it totals over $1 trillion a year that we spend managing those conditions. But if there's one thing you take home from this, if we look at the data on how much money we spend managing a disease versus preventing diseases, it's 97% in disease management. We spend very little resources, very little time addressing wellness. So today's topic around wellness is that wellness is not expensive, right? Just on a very fundamental surface, if we think about how do you you know, indicate wellness, how do you propel wellness? Top left, workplace wellness programs. Just a very simple reminders to employees, a very simple program to implement, not expensive, you know, less than $10 per employee has shown very significant returns on investment for companies in terms of their health insurance programs. The right is just three different examples of where different companies have seen a large increase in return on just focusing on wellness programs. You know, see J&J &J alone over a four-year four period saving over $38 million in healthcare costs. And this is just a very isolated, small portion of the population. Um, one of the ways when you do this, and you're probably saying, so what? Like, how am I gonna do this, right? There's thousands of free apps. How many people in this room have an app on their phone of some type around exercise, diet, food, wellness? How many people have that? I bet everybody should be raising their hand, right? And they're all free. We have the tools, right? If you look at um, the Medicare, uh, Medicaid head under pre uh, President Obama here in the U.S., very good quote, we put all this emphasis on hospital care instead of keeping people from being in the hospital. So how do we do this? 
right? So let's look at an example. Um, this is kind of a fictitious way to look at it, but how many people have pur purchased a new car recently? Brand new car right off the lot, right? So you buy a new car. This graph just indicates how we treat our automobiles through the life of the product, right? And it's color-coded in that all the green is preventative maintenance, right? And the red, obviously, your, you know, your engine is fried, so you have to get a new car. That's a problem. But if you just look at the life of a car, I want to point your attention to those warranty checkups at 10,000 miles, 35,000 miles. You know, buy a brand new car, and you know, 10,000 miles is coming up, and included in your purchase, you get to have the whole gamut of inspection repairs. They'll inspect everything for you, make sure everything's running. Has anyone ever gone to the dealer and said, you know what? I think my car's okay. I'm not going to take advantage of this free service for this beautiful new automobile I bought. No one says that, right? Now let's look at how we treat our bodies, right? We're born, we get a bunch of vaccinations, and we really don't do anything until we find out that we have some life-altering condition, um, MS, arthritis. These are just a couple examples. We don't do a good job monitoring, taking care of ourselves until something's wrong. And in many cases, we talked about the cost of chronic conditions, until it's too late, right? So if you just compare these things, a material property value like a car, we treat with much more care than we do our own bodies, which is the most valuable thing that we have. So how can we change that? So last year, if you remember, I talked a lot about this idea of a contextualized composite metric or data. And without going into great detail, I think it's very important that you understand the focus of today's talk is really on this idea of contextualized data. So if you look at most disease spaces, you can pretty much make a statement on how we monitor, how we're managing that disease by monitoring one single variable. So a lot of talks this week on diabetes, blood glucose or HbA1c would be a great example of how we monitor diabetes, okay? Now, if you take it a step further, that would be an example of a direct measure, okay? Take it a step further, this kind of second order, this indirect measure, where you're interrogating something that's perhaps a little easier for the patient, less intrusive, more convenient for them, lower friction, but still is monitoring that one single disease. So again, let's stay in diabetes, a continuous glucose monitor, not a direct measure of blood glucose, measures the interstitial fluid, but has a relation to blood glucose, easier for the patient to measure, okay? The real value comes in, now we go down to what we're calling the third order, composite metric. So with the power of wearables and sensors that we have now, um, how you know, accurate we can be monitoring things for very low cost, we have the ability to put together multiple different metrics, use analytics algorithms to pull out signals that were previously unachievable. Um, Apple and Lilly with Evidation Health recently partnered on a study in the Alzheimer's space where they interrogated you know, well north of half a do uh, sorry, two dozen variables, pulling out signals to predict early onset Alzheimer's uh, uh, four years in advance of actually having that happen. So how do they do this? Composite metrics, putting a together a lot of data. But the real value is in the context, right? So let me, let's suppose for a second I told you my heart rate right now was 160 beats per minute, right? Okay. So what you don't know is, is it 160 because I'm nervous talking in front of a room of people, I just drank a lot of coffee, I just went for a run outside, I promise I didn't. Um, but you don't know that information. So interrogating the context behind what this data is, what's the data I'm collecting. We do a lot of work in the connected digital space collecting data. We don't do a very good job understanding the context and really putting that to value for our patients. So again, we talked last year a lot about 
this idea of a clinical feedback loop. I mean, many people are familiar with closed-loop artificial pancreas and diabetes. We propose this notion of, can you expand that to any disease space, really, with all the different cross-functional combination products, the way we build our organizations now. You have people talking to different functions like you've never had before, right? So this idea of a clinical feedback loop, consider diabetes. You have a device um, that's providing some disease intervention, that'd be insulin delivery. You have metric you're measuring, blood glucose, that's coming from a center, this uh, continuous glucose monitor, something like that. And then at each of those intersections is a different stakeholder, right? So you have on the bottom right, we'll use the HCP, right? If you have an HCP, you're really interested in understanding how blood glucose informs the disease intervention, the insulin delivery, which you prescribe your patient. The patient is at the intersection of what, what is my prescriber telling me to deliver for therapy, but what's the device that I have to carry around? What's the thing that I have to operate that's creating friction in my life to be able to manage my disease better? The patient's not really that concerned with how exactly the science is generated for the metric they're measuring, nor the sensor that's in their device, right? So if I have found a, a, a person with diabetes, they're probably very unaware of how their continuous glucose monitors technology works, but they really care about what the size of that sensor is that they have to put on their body, how it's going to affect their daily lives. Um, so the, the take-home point here is if you look at the bottom, traditionally in medicine, we look at physiological domains, just measuring different variables or, or scientific metrics. The, co the composite metric gets into behavior, right? What is my behavior? Diet, exercise, that all affects blood glucose in this diabetes example. But where I want to take us is on the environmental side, okay? And so I'll skim over this slide, but basically what you're seeing here is we talked about diabetes. We proposed in the past... Why couldn't this be applied to a number of disease states? So on the right, showing this is a neurodegenerative disease. This is an example where the caregiver enters that closed loop. They have to prescribe the therapy, make sure the patient is adhering. Um, and in the middle, we talked a lot about health and wellness. And it sort of provokes the thought, well, that's not a disease. Like, what are you talking about closed loop and wellness? Okay. So who is the leader in contextualized metrics? If you think about the healthcare industry, I'll tell you, there's really not a great example of who's using contextualized metrics to drive disease intervention. But I'll tell you who does a really great job is Disney. And you laugh, but it's true. Um, how many people have been to Disney World before? Right? Would you not agree the customer experience is great? You walk through the parks and you're thinking, man, they've thought of everything. Well, they really have. So six years ago, Disney introduced this pretty... Uh, mundane concept they call the magic band. It's on the left there. It's a simple wearable device, has an RFID chip on there. It was designed, to, you know, on the right, if you go to their website, you can, they call it your guide to a more carefree visit, right? It does all these things, unlocks your hotel door for you, um, tracks your bags from the airport, it's your ride tickets. You can actually load it up with money so that your kids can go spend without you having to be right there. This was over a billion dollar investment by Disney. And when people did this, when they did this, people questioned, like, what's the return on investment? In the first year they introduced this, they increased park spend per day per visitor by $48. For the record, Disney gets 20 million visitors a year. It's a lot of money. However, it has enhanced the patient experience, but the power is in the contextualized data. So here's a map of Magic Kingdom, the flagship park of Disney, right? At surface, this is what we would look at when we're planning our day through the park. This is how Disney looks at the data. Here's a random walk of park entrance on the bottom left at 8 a.m., making their way through the park. Um, 
if you follow the red line, it shows you the different times people arrived at different stations. And using that magic band, they are tracking every single thing that you do. So they've created this customer experience for you. Well, in the meantime, you're providing them an insane amount of contextualized data. For example, Disney knows that 72% of park visitors go to the right when they enter the park, right? Disney also knows that when uh, children of the age three plus or minus half a year get off of the It's a Small World ride, there's a 72% chance that they want to go get a snack afterwards. So they've prioritized putting the snack stands around that ride specifically to target that data, okay? So who do you think is the most consulted park employee at Disney? Any guesses? Yeah, very good, you're cheating. Um, so Disney custodians are the number one consulted park employee. So if you go to Disney's website and you go on their HR website and you apply for a job there for a custodian, um, you will have to undergo a week-long intensive training course. Now, find me another company on this earth that spends a week intensive training custodians. And why do you think that is? Number one, I think the trash can example people know. There's a science behind how far Disney places trash cans apart from each other because they have data that says it's the average amount of time it takes you to unwrap a hot dog. So if you go to Disney, as users we say, oh, the park's very clean. But they put, it's clean because they put those cans at a specific location because they have data from your magic band that tells, you, tells them exactly how to do it. If you've been there, you also know that custodians also play an integral role in the customer experience. On the right there, you see the custodians, are, they're artists, they're painting. Um, People are interfacing with them, which they know from this contextualized data. The most frequently asked question, what time does the 3 o'clock parade begin? <laughs> right? That doesn't really mean what it says. What it means is, where do I stand to get a good view? What time do I have to get in line? Is it going to be late? How long is it going to last? What can I get for dinner after the parade? These are the kinds of things that that magic band has enabled for Disney. Um, that There's very few, if any, other examples. So let's go to wellness. Um, we talked about Disney. Disney knocks it out of the park. One example, based right here in Boston, uh, several of you may have heard of this, is uh, Whoop. The name of the company is Whoop. They're uh, affiliated with Harvard. They created this wearable sensor. It's, again, it's a wearable. It goes on your arm. It has a PPG sensor that monitors your pulse. Um, and they created three very basic metrics that they provide to the user. So they developed this technology focused on the elite athlete space. They have partnerships with a lot of the professional sports in America. Um, but these are great examples of contextualized metrics that the user can use. So there's three. One is cardiovascular strain. So how much strain are you exerting in a given day? It's adapted to the user. So that 19.1 there. My 19.1 is not the same as your 19.1. It learns this over time. The middle one is a recovery score. So that tells you on a given day, from 0 to 100%, how recovered are you to go take on activity? Um, and in my experience, I did my own human factor study on this. This metric is the best example I've seen in wellness in terms of providing feedback based on context. So let's get to that. Um, here is a plot. This is my own personal data. Um, on the x-axis is time. This is from last year. I was training for the Chicago Marathon. And on the y-axis is recovery score. They plot it into thirds. So red is the bottom, third, yellow is the middle, green is the top. Um, and you can see I've circled an area of indication where you can see prior to that, I was getting a lot of reds, right? So I'm looking at this saying, ah, I'm not, something's going off. The Chicago Marathon was on Sunday, October 7th. You can see I was in prime shape then. There were no reds for a week before, a week after. Something was done right by me 
that enabled me to be in very good shape to have a really good race. So if I look at this, your take-home message, this recovery score is giving you intrinsic and extrinsic data. So when I say intrinsic, the things you're aware of, resting heart rate, heart rate variability, sleep, cardiovascular strain, but there's so many factors that go into this that we're totally unaware of. Diet, exercise, stress, your mental health, sleep quality, alcohol consumption, travel. Fun fact, I learned using this sensor that if I drank two glasses of milk two hours before going to bed, it improved recovery by 10%. Random, but true. Um, this is the kind of data that's really going to drive wellness, this contextualized example. Okay? Um, here's some data published by Whoop. Um, Major League Baseball, a lot of the, it's a great sport for looking at statistics, right? So on the left, they're showing, they plotted for the AAA affiliate of the New York Yankees uh, two years ago, the entire season, every pitcher. That's the average fastball velocity correlated to recovery. So imagine you're a manager trying to figure out which pitcher to put in, and you have access to this data that shows a direct correlation of someone's recovery to how well they're going to do in the game. On the right, um, for the hitters, exit velocity. What's the speed the ball comes off the bat at? Again, perfect correlation. This is a great example of a single metric that has so much power in it that's looping in environmental, extrinsic, and intrinsic data. So now to the take-home, right? What do we do in healthcare? Well, unfortunately, there's really not a lot of examples, if any, of how doing this in healthcare. So I would view this as a call to action, right? How do we take the data generated with all of our devices that were focused on disease management and turn it into wellness, right? Many of you have heard of Google's uh, Project Baseline. They have a, a study center they're passing out. They're trying to get over a million subjects over a 10, I think it's a 10-year period, um, just to map data across the whole human spectrum. That's a great example. In the diabetes space, um, this is actually an FDA-supported study um, of the do-it-yourself closed-loop community taking data that already exists and pulling it together to create a closed-loop algorithm that's readily available for people free of charge on the open, on the open market. But really, the, the call I'm making is, if we're going to change the game in disease, we have to move to wellness. It's not good enough to do it in management. I think the la one of the panels earlier talked about no one looks forward to managing these chronic conditions, but I think we could all look forward to being well. So, you know, how do we get a concerted effort in the drug delivery uh, space? The examples exist in other parts of industry. How do we take that over to healthcare? And then if we kind of go onward, so my thought experiment on, you know, we go down to a contextualized metric, what's the next segment we could look at? Is this idea of population health. So now I'm looking at the context for a broad population. Imagine if I can start to look at specific areas and interrogate those and take it a step further. Um, there, again, there's not really great examples in the healthcare industry, but this is really where you'd have ultimate value, um, really driving this to look at patient populations and increase wellness overall for everybody. So thank you again for bearing with me in the last talk of the day. Um, and I don't know if there's any time for questions. I hope you enjoyed the podcast from the 2019 Pod Drug Delivery Conference. The 2020 meeting will take place October 8th and 9th in Boston. For more information, visit theconferenceforum.org. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.